Greetings, Gothamites, to episode 78 of I Am The Night. I'm looking at season two, episode 19. Only one more to go this season. Uh, written by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, of course, and directed by Kevin Altieri. It is deep. Please. Guest starring, well... Five Live. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, uh, the only sensible uh, character you want to get in an episode called Deep Freeze, uh, uh, a heat villain. No, of course not. Not. It's our dear pal Victor once again uh, returning in some animatronic antics, shall we say? Absolutely, and um, with the guest appearance of the real villain of the piece, Walt Disney, um, Grant Walker. Thank you. I really <laughs> want to unpack that. I want to unpack that so much. I have so many things I have to say because it's so <laughs> bleedingly obvious. But we'll get to that. Oh, it's it's clear as day. I mean, the, down to the fact of um, what happened to the actual Mr. Disney. So we'll get yes. to it. Let's talk about this amazing 1940s, flacious Superman-inspired, Silver Age, Batman-loving, future city under the sea, shark-missile-wielding magic piece of Batman, the animated series animation. See, now you get all of those comparisons. For some reason, I'm comparing it to like a 60s James Bond. As well, absolutely. Like, like the villain in, lair. The villain in a grand lair with really over-the-top gadgets for a grand sort of like world domination level plan. That is 60s Bond to me. And that is the magic. Of this show, yeah, it can do so much because, blindly, what was the previous episode? Uh, the that was make the, them laugh with the Joker. Yeah, that was like a hairbrain sort of detective story where mm. it still had a lot of that sixties flair, but oh, it was yeah. like a cerebral, methodical sort of unpacking of things. In this one, we got a clear villain doing something sinister, roping in another supervillain to help their dastardly schemes in a grand, uh, floating city. Yeah. That's just the joy of Batman, really. His canon is just so big that you can do practically anything. It's like you say, when you've got a character that's been around for 80 plus years, they have to grow and change with the times. And the beautiful part of that is because they've had history and stories published and made and filmed and whatever else over those 80 years, I saw 40s and 50s and Silver Age, you saw the 60s. So it's literally the golden age of sci-fi, fantasy and action movies three decades to choose from, and they all work, and they're they, all there, visibly. Yeah, they all are. It's uh, it's great that Batman can do this, because there's something still so incredibly timeless about the oh, look. Completely. Because they've, you've got, like, the 40s sort of aesthetic in terms of, like, the cars and the architecture, mm -hmm, but you've mm -hmm. got, I want to say 60s futurism. Oh, completely. In the way that this episode was sort of framed. Yeah, yeah. It looks very Jetsons to me. Yes. <laughs> oh, and uh, but, and Bond and Bond in in essence, and uh, like even Jetsons down to the jumpsuits that all of the yeah. random civilians were wearing, yeah. and a belated birthday to uh, the dad of the Jetsons because according to the timeline in that show, he was born a few months ago. Oh wow, amazing! So this is good timing, very good timing indeed. But um, yeah, Hannibal Barra classics, but those influences are still so strong in the in those classic stories from when they were first released into now that it's so easy to see the parallels, and we see them here. It's yeah. lovely to see. And I'm so glad, in fact, that you brought up the 60s Bond because the other influence I saw glaringly was the 70s Logan's run and that utopia which comes at a price. Mm. And that's a staple of sci-fi. It is. Uh, I've studied and looked at utopias and dystopias in fiction quite a bit. Dystopias are when societies break down, mm -hmm. but there's a sort of peace and a and a utilitarian sort of yeah. like grandeur to that. Mm -hmm. I think of like the the civilizations that pop up after the fall in The Walking Dead. Oh, absolutely. Those townships, they have their conflicts and they have their struggles, but they're still thriving. They're still keeping on. Mm -hmm. 
but then you get your utopias, which are meant to be these grand, illustrious, beautiful city-states, yeah. but they are rife with political tension oh, yeah. and drama and trouble and strife. Which makes me think of like Utopia, but also the uh, yeah, Catch-22s in your 1984. Absolutely. So we have that vision here, and they're strong, classic visions of storytelling that we've that been around since, what, the ancient Greeks, since Plato's Republic? Yep. They're just so strong that we just keep coming back to them, and they're done in a new way consistently, and it's really nice to see them done in such a rewarding way here. Oh, yeah. I mean, by a man who his real-life counterpart tried to do the same. And we've got Epcot, we've got so many other things. And uh, even in Batman the Animated Series, um, the, the, the fantastic Mask of the Phantasm movie, there was that future world, which goes back to the World's Fair, and the parallels between searching for a utopia and the historical um, things that have happened in the past, that's that's something this show does better than just about any. It really does. And it's not something you'd ever expect the show to do quite so well, but it does so consistently. It, it unpacks so much in its 20 minutes of children of quite unquote children's tv mm -hmm. but it all depends upon how much you want to read into it oh. if you want to see those allegories to current day civilization and those callbacks to ancient storytelling it's there if you want to get caught up in the swashbuckle of batman in the batbo outrunning shark-shaped missiles Amazing. and torpedoes that's there too it has something for everyone see that's the one thing i, I mean i would love again to watch an episode like this with someone in their teens and then someone who's like seven or eight because they'll all get a completely different outlook on it. And that's why this series, we say it week after week, is just one of the greatest things ever committed to film. It's brilliant. It really is. It's still the strongest and most sincere de depiction of Batman. It's a great different exercise in different kinds of storytelling each week. Sure, there's some bits which have to stay the same, but like ultimately you can get a uh, gritty noir detective story mm. one week into uh, high fantasy swashbuckle into like Bond esque uh, infiltrating the villain's lair here, but you can do so much with this kind of storytelling. But it doesn't enforce itself on anybody. Absolutely. You can do whatever side you really want to, and it rewards all kinds of viewers. Completely agree. I mean, let's talk about the plot, which is a great one. We start in prison. And this huge robot, again, so 40s Fleischer, it's absolutely beautiful, uh, breaks freeze out. But he didn't plan it. It wasn't his idea. It was the notorious Grant Walker searching for immortality by freezing himself, which, like I said, is very akin to his real life. Yeah, let's unpack how close the, uh, the, like, the parallels are, because I like scribbled this down pretty heavily. Uh, between like the Visioneers, yeah, who make the the animatronics, yes. as mentioned by Rossum, which is a character we've revisited, and yeah, uh, just a sidebar here, real quick. It's so hard not to look at Rossum and not think of the like all of the Blade Runner references. Well, he was um, the the Blade Runner. Uh, oh God, what was the name of the character? I love that character. Damn, this the Toymaker. Yeah, yeah, I know who you mean, but what was the name of the character? Oh, that is so bad. It's one of my favourite films of all time. I should know this. But so, yeah, it's him. And he's reprising his role the third time he's appeared in the show, four if you count the two-parter, from Heart of Steel and his Silicon Soul episodes one and two. And he's back as Carl Rossum because he is Batman's friend and their go-to guy when it comes to robotics. And sure Genius. enough, he had the intel we needed to leave back to uh, the Mr. Walker, who, um... yeah, the, the, the Walt Disney parallels are a little bit on the nose because the vision he is the pencil moustache yep. uh, living, putting himself on ice as yep. it were yep. 
I'm sure there are others, in, including like the fairly dubious sort of utopia and eugenics element mm-hmm. to it. So, why would they put pastiche in Walt Disney here? I know they're Warner Brothers and they're rivals, so they are, they could, but why? It's easy and it works. It is easy and it does work, <laughs> but it's also a grand glowing question mark. Um, it just made for a very interesting sort of visual and a great villain choice, but it was just very glaring and I'm like... Um, I always worry when people parody it to like this extent because mm-hmm. like couldn't they like get themselves in trouble with this? But then again, they can't get in trouble for mocking. They're not out and out naming names. Exactly. They don't use the word Disney. They don't do Imagineers, and they don't um, literally call it uh, Epcot or anything like that. It's Oceana. It's a futuristic state, and he wants to live forever by freezing himself. That's about. I mean, it's clear, but it's not concrete. Yeah, they've they've handled it as well as they possibly could, but even then, it's still sort of riding the line of suspicious. But it's still entertaining to look at, at the very least. Do you think, because of the way the world is now, that if this was made today, lawsuits would abound? <laughs> I feel like it would be close enough, but it would also probably be like just different enough not to get any of the charges to stick. Yeah, but it would be enough for like a lot of people to sort of have the pause of. I don't know if you should be talking about these characters like this. Yeah, absolutely. F.J. Sebastian. That's it. From Blade Runner. I'm it, glad it came to me. I just looked at William Sanders and then it popped into my head. Yeah, Um. again, perfect casting. That's probably why he was cast in the first place. Which seems perfectly ideal as it is. It's a real look at a strong visual character. Here's like the bittiest of bit parts in Blade Runner. Yeah. Just to show like how downtrodden and how stratified the class structure is in that movie, mm-hmm. but just left such a strong impression and left some visuals uh, yeah. that I would honestly say that scene was where the creepy doll fixation started for like Western culture. Could be like which led on to your stuff like your Chucky's and your Scarface's yep. and your Annabelle's. Yep. Not only that, it's just that even though you said he, like he was a, a secondary character. Is he still not, to you, even one of the most memorable, literally because of the way he was portrayed, brilliantly acted? Yeah, like a, the, the whole movie is made as a strong performance, yes. that it's hard to really also call true. out anyone. Also but uh, yeah, it was a very strong, great visual, well well made and possibly performed there and again here. Yeah, That's why they brought him back, and he's one of the very few who aren't the main baddies, of course, who is recurring. And of course, we have to mention, honestly, this show made Mr. Freeze. Before Batman the Animated Series, Mr. Freeze was just a villain that turned up every few years. And the whole backstory, everything about Nora, I don't know if you're aware, mainly came from this show. Was really? he in the comics until after this show? So before then, he was just a scientist where some sort of cold mishap exactly. went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. This show humanised him and made what it is. Exactly. That's amazing to think about because obviously this show came before but then we get performances that should not be named. But one of the people I don't hate it. No, no. The the the, the, movie, the movie as a whole, yeah, is unforgivable. Yeah, Arnold is actually one of the movie saving graces. Agreed. Yeah, as as unthinkable as that is to say. Yeah, Arnold's a, like an actual saving grace of the movie, yeah. and his he does the the vulnerability and the uh, the, yes. the pining for Nora very well in that movie. So absolutely. But I dread to think that the movie could have been even worse without this level of depth that the show that the oh, animated series gave us. Completely. If not for this show, he literally would have been just another two-dimensional 
cold-powered villain, which is what he was for the majority of his career until this series came along. I mean, the fact that they brought Nora into the comics, they brought Nora into the TV show, the movies, because of this series is is the saving grace of the character for me. Yeah, I think it would be very hard for him to be memorable. If he wasn't, he would like be the opposite of Firefly, as I like to joke about. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then again, Firefly, he still has some deep depth to him, but not the level that Mr. Freeze has. That's why oh. Mr. Freeze keeps coming back. Absolutely. Mr. Freeze is now, because of this show, in the top tier, for me at least, mm. of the Batman villains. I would say so. Because he's, again, like Russell Gull, you can't really call this guy evil. He's misguided, but he's got a purpose. He's got a reason, and there's a humanity to him that does make you root for him no matter what he does. You, you can understand... Why he does what he does. Yes, you can understand completely. that he is single-minded and driven to restore himself and restore his wife, but he does whatever means necessary, and that's what gets yes. him on the wrong side of the law. Exactly that. And, again, it's not just the storytelling and bringing in Nora. You have to give kudos to Michael Ansara, because the way he can go from completely cold to just that slight level, the fear in his eyes when the robot kidnaps him, again, that's part of the animation, but also the voice acting. And yet also the way he treats Walker, the way he literally coldly addresses the citizens of Oceana just to get the hell off the island. What an actor. I Honestly, it's so sad he's passed because he's one of those guys that, for me, epitomises Freeze now. I can't read Freeze in a comic book without channeling Michael Antara. I'd, I'd agree with that. There has to be some sort of level of robotic twinge and yeah. uh, emotionlessness, but he does that while still bringing humanity back when exactly. it's needed, which is, very, which is very hard to find that balance. Mm. I can see a lot of other performers going too far one way or another. Exactly. So it's really well handled by Master of the Craft, and I'd rather have like a few solid episodes of him performing the character perfectly than nothing at all. That's the thing, every episode he was in, and that's why he does recur, because if they'd done Freeze the way he was done in the original 60s and 70s comics, he would never recur. He'd be one of those villains that appeared once and disappeared. But Ansara's performance and the brilliant writing characterization by Dinny and Tim and Altieri and all the other geniuses who made this show made Freeze one of my favourite villains. So it's really interesting that like the show here the animation really created Nora and the reasoning behind his actions and his motives. So do you think when they created that first story, Heart of Ice, way back when, multiple mm. episodes ago, do you think they just sort of looked at Freeze, looked at the sort of simplicity of his background and just decided, no, nah, let's come up with reasons for things and then used that show to actually create and breathe some life into these characters? Exactly. I mean, reading back, so this is the days where the internet was in its infancy. So I used to read lots of trade magazines and Wizard and all sorts of stuff like that. And the main reason was they wanted a powerful villain who was a real threat, which is something Freeze always was. But again, he was largely two-dimensional. So Dinny and Tim, and again, all the other directors and writers who brought his adventures to life throughout the animated series, and then his own animated movie, Sub-Zero, which we'll come to in the weeks to come, they just wanted to say, well... What was he working on? Why was he working on it? Why is it important? Why cult? And the rest is history. It shows then the amazing amount of freedom that they must have had while they were working on this show. Mm -hmm. And the immense level of faith that Warner Brothers and the animation producers had to let them just run the ball and create things. Because these characters are known. These characters yeah. have 60, 70 plus years of canon behind them. Yeah. 
So they couldn't just make up anything. And in the lesser hands, in the lesser team's hand, they could have shotgunned everything. Oh, I won't absolutely. I won't name names, but the learned among the listeners here will know that Mr. Freeze was not a bank robber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's that's the kind of stuff that could have happened. They were given so much creative freedom here and were still able to deliver a character that was truly recognizable absolutely. and give elements that are so strong that they permeated back into comics. Mm-hmm. But then again, Batman the Animated Series is full of this. Yeah. It's amazing that like the quality of the creation is so good that it's actually had an influence on the source material. Yeah, and that's very rare for that to happen backwards. Almost never. Um, the beauty part of it as well is, though, I think they were given that creative freedom because everything they did was successful. If you look at Heart of Ice, and then you look at a list of fan-voted or creator-voted best episodes of Batman the Animated Series ever, that episode will constantly be in the top ten or the top five. I think I know why. Um, remind me of the actor's name. Michael Antara? His delivery of the, you know what it's like to walk out on a summer's day with a hot wind on your face and a warm hand to hold. I don't. I can't mm-hmm. experience those things anymore. Mm-hmm. The quality and the delivery of that yeah. line, the way it's given. I don't mean to pun here, but it's accurate. It's chilling. Yeah. Completely beautiful. It sticks in people's minds, Mm -hmm. and that's the moment where Freeze, as a character, turned from that two-dimensional ice blasting Freeze Gotham Wahaha villain to oh, this guy has suffered. I feel bad for this guy. And then we get the added dimension in this episode where he will continue suffering probably for hundreds of years, if not longer. That that makes it. Mm. That's the knife edge of immortality. Would you want immortality if that's what immortality? It would it would drive you crazy to live hundreds of years to see yourself exactly the same, but everything around you just sort of wither and perish. It would it would mess you up. So no, it is a curse if you don't phrase it the right way. And that's why I do want to ask you this because before this episode, he was still in that situation where he, he now believes Nora is dead. Hmm. The fact that she's brought back to me. I think it's that glimmer of hope he needed to carry on. Do you, do you see that as well in this episode? Potentially, I'd say that. Without a reason, people will either just like end things, as dark as it is to say, or will just sort of like fester and become bitter and cynical yeah. and sinister. So without a reason, people don't really amount to much, which is sad, but it's the truth. Him having that glimmer of hope again gives him something to work on mm-hmm. and a positive thing to sort of put back into the world because... With whatever research he does, yeah, he will still contribute whatever he does to help Nora back into greater science. Absolutely, and that is the definition of positive change in the world. While we live in a world sadly without Batman, the people who are funded to do research on like life-threatening diseases and climate change, they are the real heroes. Yes, absolutely, and that's what heroism looks like these days. And we get that done by those kinds of characters behind the scenes in the lab coats and Mr. Freeze could become part of that with that kind of hope so I hope that this would be him turning around or at the very least him having an excuse to perform more dangerous and sinister feats of villainy to fund his profane experiments to get his love back. Well we know that he will reappear both in this show and his own movie and in Batman Beyond so if we get to the stage where we start reviewing that show which would be really cool um, we will see more from him but it's great because that hope is something you and I mention a lot is that difference between existing day to day and actually 
it's a very big dis- big distinction and something that I live by a lot. I have a few real world examples of people that didn't live their life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. People and still aren't and still aren't people that I know uh, in in the world that I'm somewhat close to. Mm. They've had some horrible things happen to them, but they've chosen to sort of amount to nothing and give up for, to it as a result, yeah. which is a crying shame. They're not it's really heartbreak. living their life. They're mm-hmm. just sort of existing. And they could make things so much better if they had the impetus to reach out, but a lot of the times they don't, and I feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for Freeze in this instance to have some glimmer of hope, some reason for going on appear back in his life. And this is the conversation we're having on watching Batman yet. Series, folks. Yes, uh, deep metaphysics, ethics, and anthropology, all from 20 minute cartoon of the, the bat boat running away from shark shaped <laughs> torpedoes. Amazing. Don't you love it? Absolutely love it. So, obviously, we, we talked about the wonderful Michael Ansara and William Sanderson returning as uh, Dr. Carl Rossum, but we have to talk about um, Grant Walker. Again, Batman the Animated Series has pulled out a legend. Um, Walker's played by Daniel O'Hurley, who is, or was, he passed in 2005, um, a screen and stage star. I mean, we're talking the royalty of the American stage, starring as Macduff in the production of Macbeth, which he was Oscar nominated for, as well as being Oscar nominated for playing Robinson Crusoe. He played Macduff in 1948 and Robinson Crusoe in 1954. So that's how long he was acting before coming up to this, but he's been in stuff as varied and as rich as Halloween 3, The Last Starfighter, Horror and Sci-Fi, The Twin Peaks TV show, every Shakespearean adaptation you've ever seen on Broadway or off-Broadway. But of course, for me, and I don't know if you've seen these films for a long time since you were quite young, um, he was the epitome of the corporate mogul, the ruler of the machine, he was the old man, the guy who ran OCP and wrote. No way. Yes. yes. <laughs> the guy who gets filled with bullets and then thrown out the window. Or was that a different corporate guy? I think no, no. He that's in the first one. This is the guy who is the boss of both those guys in one and two. I oh. think he does get his come up until the second one. I think yeah, I think so too. But the Frank Miller one. The fr- <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that number three? That was. Uh, two he co-wrote, three he wrote and directed, if memory right. serves. Right. Yeah. Oh, those movies were so fun. Yeah. It's like one of those movies where it was just like quickly cutting between like adverts. Yeah. But also it yeah. was still the drama of the movie. Yeah. And you could play like versions of battleships where it was with nuclear weapons called yeah. Nukem because you were scared of the Cold War. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it was such a violent movie. Yeah. But most oh, yeah. but the movie made so much money from the action figures. Yes. How are they going to be out marketing violent movies to kids? Oh, they did you... that all the time in the 80s, though, with Terminator as well. You never saw the TV-edited version of Robocop. Oh, it must have been Garbo. Mate, it was laughable. Um, when they replaced Mother with Mother Crusher, and you can tell it's like a different actor, or uh... possibly re-recorded separately, and all the violence is removed, but it sold so many times. Of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. And for that, we have to thank Star Wars. But there's a whole other t- conversation. Indeed. So there you go. Daniel O'Hurley, legend of stage and screen, OCP's main man, and Grant Walker in Batman. Again, they they needed someone with that level of gravitas and that someone who could like really sell that kind of megalomania, which is something you could only really get in someone who's in, in it, who is as tenured in Shakespeare. Yeah. 
So an actor, darling. An actor, my dear, don't you know? <laughs> yes, they, they chose that perfectly here, as they do every single time. Every single time. Kudos to everyone above. Now, I need to make a little comment, but we'll do that now, because we're going to go talk about our takes, good, bad, or ugly, from this episode. I have one which I need to address, Ooh. but you first. Um, I love the consistency with which these characters are portrayed here, specifically Batman, because right at the beginning of the episode, mm. We see the robot break into, I'm going to presume, Blackgate, not mm-hmm. Arkham. Yeah, agreed. And it freeze guns its way through the electric fence, through the walls, through Mr. Freeze's cell, takes him. But at no point, even though I at first thought, oh, Mr. Freeze has built a robot because mm-hmm. it's the same sort of freezing tech, but Batman immediately knows, no, it's... The detective. Not just the detective. Yeah. The Observer and mm. someone who believes in the goodness of the people he locks up. That's the level of Batman that we only really see here in this in this animated yeah. series. All the comics. Or some of the comics, of yeah. course. Him as the protector. Yeah. And we see, and he recognises that Mr. Freeze did not know anything about this. He was in distress. He was kidnapped. What is going on? And mm. starts investigating to try and find Freeze. Not to bring a criminal back behind bars to find a kidnapped victim. Yeah. That kind of level of hope and heroism is something we've seen in Batman consistently, but we don't see in Batman in a lot of other media, and it's something that I love that they've been able to keep that consistent. Absolutely. We haven't really seen it until the new Matt Reeves movie, whereas at the end he ceases to be that figure of terror and fear, and he's a hero of hope and a protector pulling people out of the flooded book. And that's another reason I love the new Batman so much, because they're looking at different sides of him, and yes, the Observer... And the detective, finally. Not hard to actually make a gritty, no. noir, crime detective movie. Honestly, I think we need to bring that style of storytelling back. Yeah. One of my favourite gritty, noir detective stories, as niche a reference as this is, but with anything, we've had a lot of really niche references in today's episode so far. <laughs> my favourite one is A Case to End All Cases, one of the animated episodes of The Animatrix. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. That Wonderful. is one of my favourite gritty noir detective brilliant. stories. But I want that kind of storytelling to come back because yes. those simple oh, yes. kinds of stories, they never get old. A lot of modern audiences think they need to be like twisted or need to be like shown something new every single time. They really don't. They just need to be reminded of a good story. not And a good story doesn't need to be complicated. Why are two Agatha Christie films back in the most watched movies of recent years? The Kenneth Branagh's... Yeah, Kenneth Branagh's yeah. Poirot's. They, they are it's excellent. Timeless. They They're are brilliant. timeless. They're, they're done perfectly. Yeah. A well-told detective story, to me, is still one of the best things I can watch. Truly, because you get to unpack things with the detective. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have done that with Batman because we know a lot of like the mysteries that Batman could be involved mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. but they still told an excellent job there. And they often tell an excellent detective story here in these yes. 20 minutes, quote-unquote, kids' TV shows. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. That was a really good take. Love that. Mine is slightly different. I need to look at the production and the making and the geniuses that put this show together for so many years. And I need to talk about the amazing sound design of this episode. The robot sounds, the flying sounds, the whirring, the helicopters. And I don't know how they accomplished this. When Batman and Robin arrive at Oceana, sense of space that's created by the sound of them coming out of the water, and then you hear crowds in the distance. Like, this place is populated. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of people. That echoing, the sounds of life in this place, which is in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of nowhere, 
And it's little things like that, the little touches that elevate this from just another adventure cartoon series from a Saturday morning into, honestly, this show to me is art. It is art in every sense, acting, direction, design, both visual and sound. The way that was done, I, I want to watch it again with that in mind, because it's so brilliant. It's hard to get that kind of level of scope in without seeing the clear visuals. Yeah. With animation like this, all they have to work on is the sound design. Yeah. They can like portray it clearly with like the size of the mm -hmm. huge dome and the skyscrapers that they put into this uh, water city. But if it doesn't sound right, it won't carry over. Exactly. And I wasn't like as paying as much attention to it as you were, clearly. But now that I'm thinking back on it, that level of depth is very clear and it does feel very sincere. Yeah. We do get that look of, okay, we are in this like domed city. And those sounds are so rich because it's a like a like a some sort of dome of some kind. Mm -hmm. So it's, those sounds are reverberating, bouncing back, so they sound more rich and more echoey than mm -hmm. they would. But that's just a level of realism that you'd never expect and probably don't still get in a lot mm -hmm. of animation Absolutely. like this. Not 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 on Western animation at the very least, but you get that level of care and attention that makes you think, wow, this is this it just also shows the the extent and the skills employed by this villain just to finally see that they've put this together and it feels rich and real and lived in. And this never you, you never expect that level of realism in quite unquote kids TV. Yeah. I mean Disney Pixar and DreamWorks can CGI thousands of people standing in under a dome. With 2D animation, that would be a logistical nightmare. So you just see a few bits with a crowd looking up at a massive screen. But the sense of size and the amount of people in there was totally conveyed because you felt it, even yeah. though you're thinking about it now. It was totally conveyed by that sound design. You don't see them, but you hear the life and the crowds and the movement and the murmur of voices. And it's genius. It's brilliantly done. So I have to give kudos to the sound designers for this episode and for, and for every other because it's, it's wonderful. Very difficult thing to pull off, but they've done they've done so masterfully, and it's a wonderful thing to see. Truly, fantastic. Well, that was our deep dive into Deep Freeze, another episode of Batman Animated Series, and we've only got one left for season two. Episode twenty will be our next episode, um, so look out for that across your podcast patches. But until then, Adam, where can Gothamites throughout the universe or multiverse hear you and read? You? I have much work to catch across the interwebs. Just look no further than uh, the many places coming now. Um, for Batman and DC-flavoured things, look to my many reviews per month on Dark Knight News. Both Catwoman and Suicide Squad are, are in excellent spots right now. Sad to see Suicide Squad go, but Batman mm. Beyond Neo Year has landed Ooh, to a fantastic start, as well as a few other things I review here and there. But for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look no further than uh, our, our Pride and Joy, Fantastic Universes, where I review many things across card gaming, gadget gaming, and PC goodness, as well as my own takes on uh, Dungeons & Dragons tabletop RPGs on the Apotheosis Studios blog and RuneterraCCG.com for deck lists, news, and articles about the League of Legends card game. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer, and for your viewing pleasure, look to the hostile atmosphere on YouTube for my PC gaming Let's Plays. No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for my Dungeons & Dragons Let's Plays and twitch.tv forward slash isittinkerer for whenever I decide to get back in the broad game zone, <laughs> broadcast zone. It has been a long time. But uh, that is all me. What about you, my good pal? 
um, and do watch and look out for those things. They are great. For myself, you can catch me making this show with you Hello. most weeks, and we love it. And also across the DC Comics News Podcast Network on the main DC Comics News Podcast show, every now and then on Mad Love, the Harley Quinn show. And um, you can also catch the Spinner Rack on there and lots of other really cool stuff. Uh, you catch me every now and then appearing as a guest on the Comics in Motion feed. Do check them out as well. So much content, very varied, very different, and very, very entertaining. Catch those on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play, wherever you catch your podcasts. As for DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, the Batman-flavoured sites, sister sites to our fantastic universes. Catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. Myself at Twitter, at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And to read my news reviews, features, and interviews, just type Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes into your search engine of choice. But until you do, Adam Ray is the night. Together we are the night. And this has been the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more comics. And watch more. Comics.